Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joel Craft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Monday evening where we continue our reflections into the great Christian thinkers uh, through the years. If you have been a faithful listener, you know well that we have been in the 16th century and we will remain in the 16th century. Uh, one could say <laughs> that the 16th century provides for us as many great Christian thinkers and doctors of the Church than any other century uh, through the years. Now, uh, I would argue there's a reason for that, and that reason is quite simple. Anytime there is a regression or decline in spirituality, as there was in the 16th century, you often see many men and women step up, and just not what they say, but also what they do, right? And this is what we call a renewal, and so certainly uh, with the Protestant Reformation, there needed to be a renewal within the Catholic Church, and there was. And that renewal came through individuals who stepped up, so to speak, in light of God's grace and did some great things. And it has been a great joy to really hit this 16th century. And we have been in this century for, again, a couple of months because of the many great men and women we have from this century. And we have the opportunity now to engage, arguably, the most recognizable female saint um, of the Catholic Church, and that is St. Teresa of Avila. And I will do this as I do each and every Monday with John O'Hare. John, great to have you with me another Monday evening. Thank you for having me again, Joe. Glad to be here. So, John, to say the most recognizable female saint is, is to say, well, we have a saint who has contributed a lot to the Church. St. Teresa of Avila is a figure not only known by many Catholics, but by many non-Catholics. Uh, she really is a peak of Christian spirituality. When I was studying in Oxford for those three summers, uh, I remember spending some class time with my Anglican brothers and sisters in Christ, and uh, we would talk a great deal about St. Teresa of Avila. They were very familiar with St. Teresa of Avila, and there were just not Anglicans in that room, but uh, many other denominations, even here from the state. So St. Teresa of Avila is widely regarded. Her work seemed to kind of cross that line, if you will, a most fascinating figure. Now, because she has contributed so much, like we have in the past, John, with the likes of a St. Augustine or, or St. Thomas Aquinas, we're going to spend more than just one week with her. I think this evening we're going to reflect with, with her work of the life so as to get into her life, and I think next week we'll talk more about um, what she actually penned. But uh, St. Teresa of Avila, a towering figure. A towering figure. There's a Professor Cook who goes on uh, these great courses, and he mm. asked, what are some of the biggest dates in Christendom? And his students come up with two. That would be around 314, Constantine and the mm -hmm. Battle of Malvern Bridge, and mm -hmm. Christianity was accepted in the Roman Empire, and then... 1517, Martin Luther, and the beginning of the Protestant Revolution. So, and this is the 16th century that you're talking about. Now, St. Teresa of Avila from Spain. Let me just wax on a little bit about Spain. Mm. In 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. By this time, Spain was a unified country, and it had three populations, which were part of it. 
It had a large Moorish or Muslim population. It had a Christian population. It had a Jewish population. And by this time, we had a single Christian kingdom. And they were living together with some degree of relative peacefulness, at least the the violence, the warfare-type violence was over with. And Teresa comes along in this setting. Now, her grandfather, her, her paternal grandfather, was a Jewish gentleman, and he was a converso. He converted to Christianity. But however, there was still some unpleasantness for conversos in Spain, and he moved, he was in the cloth business. He was, let's call him an upper-middle-class uh, cloth merchant, and he moved to the town of Avila. And he had a son who was also in the business, and this son married at age 14, and they had a child, but then his wife died rather early. Four years later, he married another woman, a very holy woman. With her, they had a daughter, born March the 28th, 1515. This was Teresa. She was born into an upper middle class surroundings and her father was a cloth merchant and and there was a a large family and the the mother and the father both were very Catholic. Mm -hmm. One of 13, I believe, right? She was one of 13. And um, there's a story which she mentions in her life and others have recounted it, that at an early age of six or seven, she and her brother Rodrigo decided that they wanted to be saints and martyrs, so they were went out to look for some Moors to behead them. <laughs> and off they went, but they ran into an uncle who suggested maybe it'd be best to go home for lunch first, and then we'd go to get ours, <laughs> yeah. and then they did. Now, they went out into the backyard and tried to build hermitages in the backyard so they could go in there and be saints like some of the Desert Fathers were. <laughs> and then, as happens when children grow up, she got to be around the 12, 13-year-old, and she kind of became a teenage ditz, I hate to say. She was reading popular novels and romance mm-hmm. novels, carrying on conversation her father thought was a little bit not what he wanted to see. Mm-hmm. And so about the middle of her teenage years, he sent her off to uh, a Catholic school taught by the Augustinian nuns, and she had a relative who was a very holy woman, and uh, they took her under her wings. And she she didn't get a formal education with the Augustinian nuns, but she learned things that women should learn, shall we say, uh, mm-hmm. because the, the idea was they were going to be married. And so she had that kind of education, and then she wanted to become a nun. And she told her father this, and the father said, I don't think that's a good idea. I don't think that's really what you're cut out to be. Now, at age 20, she was not, uh, uh, she didn't come, I mean, she's the opposite of Teresa of Lisieux. She was, she, her, her yeah, conversion came yeah, a yeah. much later. So at yeah. age 20, she somewhat runs off <clears throat> to the Incarnacion convent of Carmelite nuns in Avila. And it was a lot holier than people have said, but also uh, for well-to-do women, you would have an apartment with servants. And uh, But they did say their uh, liturgy of the hours together, and there was prayer. But there was also a lot of conversation going on with other socialites who would come to visit the women. And that's where she was at. And uh, she fit in, and then she got ill, quite ill. And no one is quite sure what it was. It was some kind of malignant malaria, whatever that is, because yeah. no one really knows. Yeah. And uh, her father sent her to a doctor who was not very good, and she got sicker. I mean, she was, they thought she was going to die. In fact, one priest told me, I didn't read this in the book, that they, her gravesite was selected. She was home quite ill. I have heard that as well. And, and, yeah. and she began yeah. to pray, and, and she recovered sufficiently after several years, to go back to the Incarnacion to become a nun. Mm-hmm. And her health was never good, but she lived to be 67 years old. So she, you know, she, she lived a, a pretty good life for, the, for that time. But she was always somehow infirmed. So she goes back to the Incarnacion, and um, she begins to read 
uh, some spiritual books, tries to take up a spiritual life a little bit more serious. Her father dies, and his confessor, a, a Dominican, says, you know, Teresa, I think you're really wasting, you know, you've you got to get a lot more serious, which she does. And then she begins to read St. Augustine's uh, Confessions, and St. Mary Magdalene's another saint that she likes quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And she looks at a picture or some representation of Christ being scourged, and she begins to pray. And this really gathers her. And then I think around rather late, 38, 39, mm-hmm. she has an experience. She called it a prayer of quiet, which is kind of a little bit taken out of her body, and she's right with Christ. Mm-hmm. And this was the first of her mystical experiences. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that begins another phase of her life. You know, John, you use the phrase mystical experience. What do we intend to mean when we use that phrase? Well, simply defined, a mystical experience is when we have a personal encounter with God, huh? And out from that encounter arises a keen conviction to now see the ordinary in light of the superordinary, the natural in light of the supernatural. We now see all things in light of what is mystical or what is filled with mystery. You see, in mystical experience, we experience the physical as iconic. We do not just look at it, but through it, encountering a new depth dimension, huh? So when Peter, James, and John looked at Christ and that great event of the transfiguration, what happened? Well, if you're to translate the Greek for transfiguration, a word that translates Christ, without ceasing to be what he was, becoming something more, he revealed a new depth dimension, huh? A new depth dimension that up to that point was unseen. When we enter our encounters as mystical, what we're dealing with ultimately is seeing the physical as iconic, seeing a new depth dimension to all that we encounter. And certainly this is what invaded the soul of St. Teresa of Avila. Yes, it did. You know, this was uh, Spain's golden century, shall we say. Yes. And there was lots of glamour, (coughs) golden status. But she gave witness to another glory and the sacred truth that becomes the possession of every genuine mystic Mm -hmm. was that the person's greatest good is within Mm -hmm. and it's won by giving up everything. Mm -hmm. So she, if I want to really get close to, I give up everything Mm -hmm. except what is directed directly towards my relationship with Christ. Mm-hmm. That's what she did, and yeah. that was her life. Yeah, be detached from the material world, so to be attached to the spiritual world, and how then that attachment to the spiritual world forms and informs your understanding of the material world, yeah. right? Uh-huh. You know, um, to, to listen to what you were just talking about there, John, which essentially is what we call evangelical poverty, uh, and her being struck by Christ crucified should remind us of our figure uh, from last week, right? St. John of Avila, because St. John of Avila was most renowned for his devotion to Christ crucified. And as we noted last week, uh, St. Teresa of Avila herself was influenced by St. John of Avila, huh? Oh, she was indeed, yes. After she begins to have these experiences, Spain was going through a complicated spiritual issue in which People were claiming that they were having experiences, and the church was uh, reticent to jump in on this with both mm-hmm. feet. So she's having these experiences, and she begins to wonder, are they real? She always insisted on going to spiritual directors who were intelligent, 
and they were males. And, and she went to these saying, is this real? She goes to a layperson who is well known for holiness. And he listened to her and he said, this woman is sincere. There's nothing, shall we say, nutty about her. So mm-hmm. everything is sincere. But I'm not too sure this is real. Then she goes to a priest and he kind of says the same thing. You know, keep doing, keep doing this. But, you know, just don't, you know, I, I really don't know if this is true. And then she began to write down her experiences. Now, this was a gem. She begins to write these down. <clears throat> Some Jesuits were her spiritual directors for a while, but they were only there for a year or two, and then they got transferred, less than a year, actually. And they thought that they were quite good. And then she found a couple of Dominicans and said, yes, I think you're on to something quite good. Keep writing. Mm-hmm. Now, at one point, she had written several hundred pages. She wrote a lot, and everything is a rough draft. She, mm-hmm. I don't she ever went back and revised anything. And um, St. John of Avila comes in after she had this written, and it was mailed off. And in fact, even the King of Spain, has a, the copy still exists in his Escorial. Yeah, uh, so yeah. Anyway, a copy got mailed off to St. John of Avila, and he read it, and he mailed it back to her and said, this is the real thing. Yeah. And that was, that was her, okay, I am on the right track. Yeah, because let us recall who this man was from last week a little bit. This was the the man who was giving spiritual direction to some of the greatest saints of the 16th century, hands-on spiritual direction, and then certainly had some input on other key saints as well. So um, he was widely respected. In fact, uh, St. Teresa of Avila herself says, in sending this to St. John of Avila, I submit my soul... I submit my soul to the discernment of the master of all things spiritual, St. John of Avila. Uh I mean, think about that, John. Listen to this again. I submit my soul to the discernment of the master of all things spiritual. Striking. That is amazing Uh when you Uh consider... I didn't know St. John of Avila existed until yeah. the 16th, made him a doctor of the yeah, church. Yeah, no, I've really known about Teresa of Avila since I was about six years old. But Yeah, it really is. And really, the life, um, this work that we're talking about, John, was to highlight the presence and action of the merciful God in her life, as she puts it. And I note that, John, because tomorrow, right, uh-huh. uh, December 8th, uh, on the Solemnity of the Immaculate Conception, we start the year of mercy. And so we need to be thinking about mercy in all things, and uh, it is very fitting that we talk about St. Teresa's life here because her work, her autobiography, was about highlighting the presence and action of the merciful God in her life. So she's talking about in this work her dialogue uh, with God about prayer, but also how that dialogue shapes and forms what she does. And oh, she does a lot of great things, to the least of which, John, was the reforming of um, the Carmelite community. Correct. In the Incarnacion, there might have been a lot, maybe as many as 140 women. They were holier than some accounts make of it. But um, one of the young women suggested, you know, we should start uh, a, a convent of our own with a smaller amount of women and just really dedicate our lives totally and completely to prayer. This got her excited about forming another convent, and it was St. Joseph's. It was one of her real huge patron saints, St. Yeah. Joseph. And this was going to be in Avila as well with maybe 15 women, mm-hmm. maybe 20. Mm-hmm. And they would follow a, a kind of a strict rule. And after much work, that got started. And it was uh, almost essentially a different order. They were Carmelites, but it was a different order. They called themselves Descalced Carmelites, which means barefoot. Actually, they wore sandals. That was it. And, and, they, and they lived kind of a strict life, these women. Uh, 
15 to 20, and a, a, a stricter prayer life. And that was the beginning. Now, she would go on to found many convents. Se- I mean, 17 in, 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 in a pretty yeah. quick time in period. In a very quick yeah. time. Remember, now she is middle-aged. When all this began, she is 40 years old. Yeah. So I, it took her a while to get going. Yeah. Isn't it interesting, John, when we think of certain ages, it's often um, those ages later in life that God does his best work. Uh-huh. You know, it's all God. I mean, if, yes. if God wishes to take a, a 13-year-old or a 21-year-old or a 39-year-old or a 55-year-old and, and make them a saint, then that's what God is going to do. We are all in our own journey, but it always strikes me. Um, when some of these saints later in life, and as someone who has recently turned 40, I'm, I'm appreciating this a little more. <laughs> but, you know, we've talked about Saints John who have done great things in their 60s and 70s, and even some in their 80s, and you, you sit there and you think, gosh, you know, here at least in the United States of America, if not abroad, we have that age of retirement, 61, 63, typically around there. And we, you know, we retire and we do our thing. I know, John, you're retired but as you're experiencing, John, you've retired, and, and suddenly you might be busier than you've ever been, right? <laughs> Joe, a little aside, I was kind of a lapsed Catholic, came back at age 54, big time, uh-huh. you know, yeah, I mean, yeah. at least in my opinion. Sure, and, sure. And, uh, you know, daily mass and so on, and I thought, oh, 54, I mean, I'll I'm ready for I'm ready for death. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah. now I'm in my seventies. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's what God does. Yeah. You know, that's what God does. So when we see God inspiring the likes of uh, we say Saint Teresa of Avila, but remember her given name, religious name was uh, Teresa of Jesus. Uh, when we see the likes of a Saint Teresa of Jesus being inspired later in life, and for her, you know, if, if she's 37, 38, 39, but even finding all these convents much later in life in her 60s, it's you just sit there and you say, gosh, you know, God still wants to do great things within me, yeah. uh, no matter how old I am. And I, I just make that point because we might have a mindset out there, maybe our listeners, John, that, you know, at a certain age, it's just time to hang up the hat. But what we must yeah, remember, never, never. and what is such a salient truth of the Christian Catholic faith is um, you never retire from this Christian gig. You know, it's 24-7, 365 around mm-hmm. the clock, mm-hmm. Right. And how do we know that? Well, let us adhere to the words of St. Paul. Pray without ceasing. Right, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. It it never stops, right? It's perpetual. So we are made to see what St. Teresa of Avila herself wants us to see, that when we allow the merciful God to work in our life, transform us, it opens us up to all sorts of new vistas and avenues to to walk through and walk yeah. down that we might better understand yeah. what it means to be a faithful Christian Catholic. One of my favorite saints is St. Edith Stein. Now, she's mm. a modern saint, died mm. in 1940. She was Jewish, as mm. Teresa was partially Jewish. Now, St. Edith Stein was Jewish and became an atheist, PhD in philosophy in Germany. I mean, that, that's a philosopher's philosophy, yeah, I guess. Oh, so anyway, it really is. <laughs> and then she began to see the, the uh, benefits of Christianity and one night in the summer of 1921, she uh, was alone in the home of a friend, and she picked up the life of St. Teresa and read mm. it in one night. So let's say from 4 a.m. to mm. 6 a.m. the next morning. Anyway, and at the end of it, she said, this is truth. She went off to find a Catholic priest, said, I want to become a Catholic. He said, how much do you know? Well, she's a Ph.D. in philosophy. She knew probably as much as he did. She joined. She's baptized. This is in the summer of 21. Mm. In January 1st of 22, she's baptized and becomes a 
a, 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 a saint later on, yeah. And you know what's so fascinating about what you're saying right now, John, as it relates to Edith Stein and having this PhD from this university in yeah, Germany and yeah. Yeah, in, in philosophy, is that St. Teresa of Avila herself was not an educated woman. All of her knowledge was gained by you know, her quote-unquote spiritual readings yes. and her firsthand encounters with God. So when you have something like this happen, an Edith Stein who um, is so well-versed in philosophy— read her life and be so moved by right. it, it says something. Well, Edith Stein said, this is truth. What got me is like, what is truth? Could mm. I just read a short paragraph? Oh, please now, do. This is yeah. from her life, chapter 8, paragraph 5, which I've heard people say is the core of her thinking. This will take yes. maybe 30 seconds. Sure. It says, whoever has not begun the practice of prayer, I beg for the love of the Lord not to go without so great a good. There is nothing here to fear, but only something to desire. Even if there be no great progress or much effort in reaching such perfection as to deserve the favors and mercies God bestows on the more generous, at least a person will come to understand the road leading to heaven. And if one perseveres, I trust then in the mercy of God, who never fails to repay anyone who takes him for a friend. For mental prayer, in my opinion, is nothing else than an intimate sharing between friends. Mm. Okay, mental prayer in intimate sharing between friends. That, I think, is the heart of her message to us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mental prayer. Our Father mm -hmm. is fine. Great. Mm -hmm. Rosary. Just sit down there, and in the quiet of your mind, mm -hmm. talk to God. Mm -hmm. Try to establish a relationship with Him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, have that conversation, Yeah. right? If we've said it once, we've said it a hundred times, John, prayer is, is conversation with God. Yes. And to be able to go before, say, the Blessed Sacrament and just have that heart-to-heart -heart conversation, as St. Teresa of Ava liked to talk about it, is to really enter into the intimacy from which God desires. Our prayer should be that we desire God as God desires to be with us. Desire matching desire. This is the language yeah. of Saint Teresa of Avila. Wow, well said. Yeah, desire you know, matching desire. Uh -huh. You know, Benedict the Sixteenth. Um, I pulled something up here, John, because I just thought this was a beautiful uh, summary as he's really encapsulating what you're talking about there. Uh, prayer is life and develops gradually. Think about that. Prayer is life and develops gradually. I think that really speaks to what we we're just talking about as it relates to the twenty-four-seven. You know, prayer never stops, huh? Benedict goes on. In pace with the growth of Christian life, it begins with vocal prayer, passes through interiorization by means of meditation recollection until it attains the union of love with Christ and with the whole Trinity. Obviously, in the development of prayer, climbing to the highest steps does not mean abandoning the previous type of prayer. Rather, it is a gradual deepening of the relationship with God that envelops the whole life. So the more we pray, the more we sink ourselves into the very life of God and His love, and the more we become enveloped in this uh, way of life and way of thinking, and in the end, way of acting. St. Teresa of Avila's message for us, John, and we're certainly going to get into this in great detail next week, is a challenging message because of what we speak to in the context of retirement. You never retire from religion. You never. never retire from prayer. It is constant. It is perpetual. And again, we can never reinforce this point enough because in that truth, what you have is ultimately what's, what sustains us as Christians. You know, John, I've heard it said 
so many times recently that all hell is breaking loose out there. Well, if all hell is breaking loose out there, don't be intimidated by it because ultimately in the end, we need to allow God to break loose within us. And if we can do that, then we will overcome the world and be the light that we need to be. Yeah, that is, that's it exactly. When I was a young kid, I saw Yosemite Valley for the first time, and mm. I just went, oh. Yeah, yeah, There was yeah, no yeah. words to go with it. No, no. Now, when I think of mental prayer, I sometimes just kind of sit there. I mean, this is, not that I could do this at all, but, you know, try to just realize God's greatness without really verbalizing it. Mm-hmm. And try to sit there in front of the Blessed Sacrament and just look at it. Our family went to uh, Yosemite two summers ago now, and I, I went with my wife's family and extended family. And I'll never forget something that an in-law said, um, a man who believes in God for sure. Um, but he, he passes through one of the tunnels. We go off to the side and, and get out of the car at one of the lookouts, and he's just looking out into the valley. And he was taken back. I mean, his breath was taken away. Yeah. He did one of those, you know, because it just literally takes your breath away. And he's just looking out there and he says, boy, behold the presence of God. And it kind of surprised me a little bit. Yeah. And he went on to say, could we say, Joe, that this is God's natural cathedral? Ah, yes. Yeah. <laughs> really, yes. Uh-huh. God's natural cathedral. I love that line. And I said, you better believe it. And sometimes when we go to prayer... Maybe our breath isn't taken away like that. Yeah. Uh, maybe we're not so uh, awe-inspired before yeah. the Blessed Sacrament as we ought to be. But the deeper we go in prayer, and the more intimate that sharing of friends becomes, the more awe-inspiring our reverence will be. Yeah. The more times we will go right. into prayer, John, yeah. and say, oh, there, yeah. you are. there you are. Yeah. Now, I don't know if our audience knows this or not, but you have the wrong guest on your show today. You oh, have a sister. I don't know. If you have a sister who is a nun, a Carmelite yeah. nun, and in a, in a monastery. I don't think they, they go on the radio, but I'll bet she can say a few things about this topic. Well, she certainly can, John. And as I'm looking up at the clock, maybe we'll start uh, next week's program, uh, St. Teresa of Avila Part 2, with some of her insights that she has shared with me as we look to expand our understanding of just not St. Teresa of Avila and what she had to contribute to the Church, but as we've talked about it, when you talk about the contribution of St. Teresa of Avila, this is something that is intended to be internalized by each and every person, huh? because it really is about... Uh, the spiritual life. And when we talk about the spiritual life, we are talking about that desire for God. And this is the language of St. Teresa of Avila. And the language that I have been able to converse with, for sure, with Sister Victoria Maria of the Infant King Jesus, my biological sister, who is a religious sister, and who we will talk maybe a little bit about next week. All right, with that, John, let us go ahead and close with a word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.